Good evening, Altoona Regular Baptist Church, and welcome. It's Sunday evening, April 19th, and we're gathered together wherever you may be around the Word of God. And I invite you this evening to grab your Bible and open with me to Galatians. Just several months ago, we finished a series through the book of Galatians. And one of the, the opportunities that we have during this coronavirus when we can't meet together, when our gatherings are online like this, we have a unique opportunity to, to go back and to visit some of the series that we've done in the past. This has been something I've been wanting to do. Just, just a refresher, a reminder of some of the truth that we have seen. And this evening, we'll be looking back to Galatians. I, I encourage you, if you have your paper with you that was in the email, the, the link there, uh, if you don't have this with you, I would encourage you to print it off, have it with you. You'll see there's study questions along the side of each point. And the way this is going to work, I'm going to read the two um, kind of central verses to Galatians, and then we'll break it down and we'll work through Galatians, splitting it into three parts. And then after each point, um, I'll invite you to pause the video and to work through the questions there yourselves. So I encourage you, grab your Bible, grab this sheet of paper, and let's work our way through the book of Galatians. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this evening for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We praise you for the opportunity to worship. We praise you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Not because of our works, but by grace alone, uh, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And even this evening, as we look to Galatians, may we be challenged, may we be encouraged as we remember the truths that we have already studied together as a church. And may you be honored in all that we do. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The book of Galatians can be divided into three parts. First, Paul defends his authority in chapters 1 and chapter 2. In chapter 3 and 4, then, Paul defends the true gospel. And in chapters 5 and 6, Paul then applies the gospel. The book of Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written around A.D. 47. It is the earliest of Paul's epistles. As you may remember, Galatia is an, is an area, it's a Roman province in modern-day Turkey. And Galatians is written to several churches in this province. Several churches that have been founded by the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. Specifically, their first missionary journey. And as you work your way through Galatians, as you read Galatians, you notice an urgency that is in Paul. And that urgency is because soon after he has planted this church, these churches in this area, false teachers have come in. And these false teachers have added to the gospel as preached by Paul. And what they've added is they've added works. And what these false teachers are essentially saying is Christ is not enough. He's a good starting point, but then you need to add circumcision. You need to keep the law. You need to add all this to Christ. And so Paul is urgently writing to these churches and he's pleading with them, do not listen to that. 
Because to, to add anything to Christ is to lose everything. The gospel is no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news when you add any work to the gospel. And so you'll sense an urgency. In fact, the Galatians has one of the shortest introductions of any book written by Paul. He jumps right in. This is of the utmost importance to Paul, and it should be of the utmost importance to us as well. If nothing else, we must guard the gospel. Paul starts in the first two chapters by defending his authority. Defending his authority as an apostle. You see, that's one of the things that these false teachers who have come in, what they've done is they've attacked the message by attacking the messenger. By, by tearing down Paul, by telling the people that, that Paul's not really an apostle. He's not on the same level as these other guys. Then they make themselves seem more genuine. And so that's what they've done. They've, they've torn down Paul. He's not a real apostle. He doesn't really speak for God. He doesn't really have this authority. And so Paul begins in the first two chapters by defending his authority, his apostleship. Paul starts out in the first uh, verses 6 to 10 by showing his disappointment. He says, I, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Take note of that. Right here at the beginning, Paul says, this is a different gospel to which you've turned. By adding this, these small works to the gospel of Christ, you've left that gospel entirely. And I marvel that so easily, so quickly, you could be led astray. Paul starts... By voicing his disappointment here in verses 6 to 10. Then you'll notice in verses 11 to 24, Paul states the, the um, source of his authority. He says, But I, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. This is not my message. For I neither received it from man, nor as I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This came straight from Christ. Paul's message is not, is not something he thought up logically. It's not something he learned sitting at the feet of another teacher. It's something that was given to him directly by Jesus Christ. That gives authority to his message, and it gives authority to him as an apostle as well. He's an apostle. He's called by, by Christ. He has seen the risen Christ. So that's where Paul's authority comes from. It comes from Christ, who, who gave it to him, who gave him this message. In chapter 2, the first ten verses, we then see evidence of Paul's authority. Paul talks about defending the gospel. He talks about going to Jerusalem and talking to those who were, who were of power there. Verse 9 of chapter 2, Paul says, And when James, Cephas, or Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship 
Paul has come to Jerusalem and he sat down and, and he's talked through the gospel and what he's preaching and what's been delivered to him by Christ. He's talked through with these leaders and, and they see that, that Paul and Barnabas are brothers. They're preaching the truth of the gospel, the same gospel that was delivered to us. So they gave him the right hand of fellowship and, the, and that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They agree on the message. And now they split to go their different ways, to go to different audiences. James and Peter and John to the Jews, Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles. Verse 10, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was eager to do. We're sharing the same message. We have the, the same heart. Paul's companions are the other apostles. They've accepted him. Paul goes further in verses 11 to 21 and the evidence for his authority in the fact that he then confronts Peter. You see, the very issue that these Galatians are struggling with, the, the, the very error that they have fallen into, Paul has dealt with this before. In fact, he's dealt with it before with Peter, another apostle who's fallen into the same error. For Peter would sit with Paul and he would sit with other Gentiles and, and they, would, they would fellowship and they would eat together. Until some leaders in the church from Jerusalem come. And then Peter, worried what they will think, separates from the Gentiles. He separates. And in doing that, what he's saying is, we are better than you. We have more of the gospel than you do because we are Jewish. Because we are circumcised. Because we eat these certain things. And so Paul confronts him. In fact, you'll notice in these verses, he confronts him publicly. He calls him out on this. He, said, he, he, he goes to Peter. And, and it says here in verse 11 and 12, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I bestowed him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew. And separated himself, fearing those who are, who are of the circumcision. He feared these Jews who had come from Jerusalem. The rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So the other Jews in this area, area followed Peter into this area, even Barnabas. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, Paul calls him out publicly, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jew... Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. That we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So Paul here, and, and I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 2, Paul here goes to confront Peter. Peter's error is public, and Paul's confrontation of him, therefore, must be public. Peter is dragging others down. He's, he's pulling them, not, not just away from fellowship, but away from the gospel. He's confusing the truth of the gospel. So it's another 
evidence of Paul's authority, that Paul stands up to Peter, who's considered to be the pillar of the early church. Paul stands up to him with authority, and apparently, Peter listens. Paul was right. Now, Paul's not saying that here to brag about himself. But he's starting here because this is the very same issue that these Galatian believers have fallen into. It's the very same error. And now they're questioning his authority. And so Paul has started in the first two chapters to say, I am an apostle. I am called by Christ. This is my, this is evidence of who I am. Turn from this error and turn back to the truth of the gospel. In the first two chapters of Galatians, we see Paul defending his authority. As we come now to chapter 3 and 4, Paul turns and he defends the true gospel. Having defended his authority and his right to speak on this, he now turns his attention to the gospel. The very thing that they have confused and in confusing have actually lost. Paul starts... His defense here in verse 3, chapter 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Answer this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? When you were first saved and the Spirit came upon you and indwelt you, when you became a believer, was that by your works? Or was that by faith? They would have to answer, it was by faith. We believe that. We were saved by faith. Now Paul goes forward. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit... If you were saved by faith, are you now so foolish to think that you will be sanctified by the flesh? See, what Paul is trying to get them to understand here is that, that salvation from beginning to end, from justification to sanctification to glorification, it is all a work of God and of God alone in Christ. Our works play no role in that. As you were saved by faith, so you will be sanctified by faith. It's all the work of God in Christ. Paul goes on in verses 1 to 14 of chapter 3 to show that salvation is by faith alone. And it's always been by faith alone. Abraham was saved by faith alone. And so you have been saved by faith alone. Don't allow them to, to confuse you, to drag you away from the true gospel. In verses 15 to 29, Paul, Paul, Paul is dealing with some of the arguments that they would have used. 
And Paul is pointing out the superiority of the promise over the, superior, over the inferiority of the law. You see, God gave a promise to Abraham. Genesis 12, 1-3, the Abrahamic covenant, God made a promise. And God is going to fulfill that promise. And Paul's point is, if God gave that promise to, to Abraham in Genesis 12, is God then going to go back on his word later? Is the law that was given to Moses later going to supersede or replace the promise that he made? No, because God is faithful. And when God makes a promise, when he makes a covenant, he keeps that. So the promise that came first is superior to the law that came second. He's trying to get them to, to understand that, to see that. Verses 4, and chapter 4 then having confronted their wrong thinking, their confusion, after explaining to them the, the purpose of the law, that the law is not meant to, to, to replace the promise, it's not meant to save you, it's meant to reveal your sin, it's meant to draw you to repentance, so that God will then save you by faith, through His grace. Having dealt with that in chapter 3, in chapter 4, then, Paul deals with their identity in Christ. Verses 1 to 7, you are an heir with Christ through God. You're a child of God. By faith, not by your works. Look at all that God has given you in Christ. You are an heir of God. You can come before the God of the universe and say, Abba, Father. Verses 8 to 20, Paul pleads with them. He pleads with them. Verse 19, my little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like the present... I would like to be with you, be present with you now, and to, to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. You can clearly see in these verses Paul's concern for them, his love for them, and he is pleading with them, listen to me. Think through this. Verses 21 to 31, he looks back to the Old Testament again. He looks back to, to these two covenants. These, these covenants, as he says, they're, they're symbolic. He, he's using them to make a point. These two sons. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You're adding the law to, to, to your faith, you say. But do you not know the law? Because you see, if you would have read the law, you would understand that that's not the purpose of the law. It never was. Verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, the other by a free woman. 
But he was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the free woman through promise. And so Paul is using these, these two sons, and he's making his point. Verse, down to verse 28. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. We believe the promise of God. We're children of promise. But as he was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Paul's whole point here in chapter 4 is know your identity in Christ. Know who you are. Know all that God has given you in Christ and don't allow anyone to take that from you. Cast out these false teachers from among you. Don't give them any voice. Because you are a child of God. You're an heir of God in Christ. And do not let anyone, anyone, say otherwise. Now we come to the third point of Galatians. Paul defends his authority, Paul defends the true gospel, and now, in the last two chapters of Galatians, Paul applies the gospel. He takes this foundation that he's laid, these truths that he has put forth, and now he applies it. As an heir of God in Christ, as someone who has been saved not by works, but by faith alone, what does that look like Practically. His first point is stand fast. Stand fast in your identity and the freedom that is yours in Christ. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Stand fast. Know who you are and do not move from that place. Christ has made you free. That's one of the key words in Galatians, freedom, the freedom that is ours in Christ by faith alone. So that's what we see in verses 1 to 15, Paul's call for them to stand fast in this freedom that is theirs in Christ. Then, verses 16 to 26, a well-known passage, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One of the benefits that you have in Christ by faith is the Spirit. Walk in that Spirit. As Paul will say later in Ephesians 4, be filled with the Spirit. your responsibility as a believer to, to cultivate that within yourself. So, stand fast. Walk by the Spirit that God has given you. Verse, chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Love one another. Love one another. He gives several practical examples here in, in chapter 6. 
Love one another. See, Paul's, the question that Paul's answering here in chapter 6 is this. See, if I am a believer, as a believer, if I'm not motivated by keeping the law, then what motivates me to obey God? What motivates me? And the answers we see here in chapter 6 is love. I'm not motivated by, by fear of God. I'm not motivated by fear of punishment. I'm not motivated by the law to keep to, to obey God. I'm motivated by love. The Christian life is a life of response to God. We see in Romans 12, 1-2. I'm responding rightly to all that God has done for me because I love God for what He's done for me. I treat others well because I love God and because I love them. It's not law that motivates me as a believer. It's love that motivates me as a believer. So stand fast in the freedom that is yours in Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Love one another. And finally, as Paul comes to the close, boast only in the cross. Realize that all that you have in Christ and all that you, you're, you're doing, it's not because of your works. You haven't earned any of this. It's the glorious gift of God by His grace alone. Therefore, you have nothing to boast about except in the cross of Christ. Except in the grace of God in Christ. That's your boast. It's not about what I've done. It's about what God has done for me in Christ. As Paul comes to the end of Galatians, the truth that we must wrestle with, that we must come to a conclusion with with him, is this, to add anything to the gospel of the grace of God is to lose the true gospel. To add anything is to lose everything. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. God has saved us in Christ, He's equipped us with the Spirit, and He has called us to walk in the freedom that He has given us. As Paul has been pleading with the Galatians, so I would remind you this evening, the Christian life is not a life of striving to please God, but of responding to what God has done for me in Christ. So may we love one another, and may we boast only in the cross. And we not look to our works, but look to what God has done for us. Brothers and sisters, I would plead with you this evening. Search your heart. Have you added works to the gospel? Have you added expectations to, to what God has given you? Stand fast in the freedom that is yours in Christ. Walk by the Spirit, love one another, and boast only in the cross. We serve a good God. We serve a gracious God. And may we never get confused. May we never add to the glorious gospel that He has given us in Christ. The good news. 
that we are heirs with God in Christ. I would encourage you, if you've not yet, work through the study questions. I've added study questions to each point um, to, to kind of guide you. I know that that's a quick fly-through. There's several uh, messages that we have online on our website as we worked our way through Galatians, uh, a, a passage at a time. I'd encourage you to go listen to those if you have any questions or any more interest in that. Feel free to reach out to me as well. Work through those questions. There's, there's children's application questions there on the back as well. Other passages of scripture for, for further ex exploration. Uh, and then several songs and hymns to meditate on as well. I'd encourage you to take advantage of this sheet. Answer those questions. Work through Galatians together as a family. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you this evening for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We praise you that we're not saved by our own works, by our law-keeping, by, by the good things that we do, or even who we are. We're saved by faith alone. It's not about what we have done for you, but what you have done for us in Christ. If there is anyone under my voice who has not turned from their sins and turned to Christ, may the truth of Galatians grip their soul. May they place their faith in Christ alone this evening. Pray that you would be honored, even as we continue to meditate on the truths of Galatians. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.